happening today and starting tomorrow. Uh, the first thing that's happening today is, of course, we have a lunch. Um, so if you guys are uh, still here uh, after second service, please join us. Um, $5 for lunch. And you guys can join us, of course, in the new building, uh, in the fellowship hall of the new building. Um, next thing, and this is the prayer request. Um, on Monday, we have uh, a VBS prepared. And I, yes, exactly, the cheers are right there for the people that are going to be part of it. Um, I'd really like you guys actually to pray for these people because uh, everyone who's going to be serving, um, and not just that, for the last uh, five or six days, we have been uh, preparing students from our church to share the gospel with the young children that we will meet on Monday morning. And so one of the things is that we found out that 30 of the children that are going to be joining us at VBS um, will, are not believers. And so it is our hope and desire with the training that we've already finished that they would be able to hear the gospel for the first time uh, this week. So please pray for the 30 children who have yet to hear the gospel and keep the coworkers, of course, as well in your prayers. And then finally, we have the registration opened for the um, summer retreat. I was about to say snow retreat, the summer retreat. And uh, I believe that the registration will close at the end of the month, um, if I'm not mistaken. And so uh, please do that before the 30th of June. And so registration information is all right there for you guys to find. If you have any questions, you can contact Grace. Um, let's go ahead and grab a Bible. If you guys would like, uh, please join with me uh, to Genesis chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 16. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. And of course, we have Bibles over there if you guys need some. Um, and then uh, feel free to use your phones as long as you look at the Bible. We're good. All right. No angry birds or Minecraft out there. Sorry. You can do that later. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me open up an word of prayer, and then we'll read the passage. Dear Lord, I am amazed, God, at what you've been able to do this week. Just from the students that we've been training up, Lord, from the preparations and all the people that are coming together, Lord, to make VBS a reality this week. Uh, Lord, i just like to praise you, God, for the privilege, the opportunities, the resources you give us. And ultimately, Lord, all these people, God, that have yet to hear about you. Lord, I pray, God, that from this time of worship, from this message, Lord, that we would look to you, God, for every single thing that we need in our lives so that we would be able and ready to share, Lord, what you have done for us with the people around us. Let people know, Lord, that when they come into our lives, God, that they meet you, Lord, and that they know, Lord, that there's something special about us that is otherworldly, heavenly, is only from you, God. So please, Lord, be with us here today as the text is read, God. I pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. So I'm going to read uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. And you can follow along with me in your word. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain the worker of the ground. 
In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought of his firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry, very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. As I was thinking about this passage for this morning, I I was trying to think about a time when I was jealous in my life. And the fastest thing that I found, the first story that came to my mind, was a story when I was a young uh, elementary school slash junior higher. And Every single uh, summer, I went to a non-Christian summer camp. And it was actually really, really special because you would have five days at the summer camp. And after you've gone after year after year after summer after summer, you ended up seeing the same people come back every single time. And it was actually kind of exciting because, you know, you see your old friends again. And and uh, um, but I need to remind you, this topic is about jealousy. And I was a boy. And it was summer camp. And it was a non-Christian summer camp. I don't even know if I was a believer back then. And the first thing that us guys did at the start of every summer camp, especially when we started getting into junior high, we start checking out the girls. I mean, the first day we're getting to know, we're, we're nervous. Like, we don't know who's with us or who's in our cabin. But then after we size each other up, we start comparing ourselves with the other guys. We start looking at each other like, who's the coolest? Who's, who's the most strongest? Who's the most socially 
cool. And after a while, you start looking at, okay, who's at the summer camp today? You start looking at the girls, and you go, like, mm, who's the best? I have to confess. And then there's always that one girl that us guys, we, we, we picked, so to speak. She was the best, coolest, cutest girl in the entire summer camp. And so throughout the entire week of summer camp, we're trying to impress her. We're putting our best foot forward. And some of the most risky and adventurous guys do something stupid in front of everybody. And that, and that if they pull it off, as risky as it is, they capture attention publicly. They can handle themselves. They're put together. But I have to be honest with you. I was never the guy that was able to capture the heart of that young girl. Every single summer camp. You see, at the end of every single summer camp, there was a dance. At the very last night of the summer camp, every single year there was a dance. And everybody who went to that summer camp knew that there was a dance. And so it was almost as if the clock was ticking to the end of the week that he will be the one to ask the girl to the dance. And so you're trying to outcompete each other. And it was always the coolest, most good-looking, strongest guy that was able to ask her to that dance. That was a big thing in junior high. And you know what? I actually friended this guy on Facebook recently when I was, when I was uh, preparing for this sermon. Because you know what I realized? I, I hated that guy. I mean, I was thinking to myself, honestly speaking, man, if she knew how much of a jerk he was, if she only knew how messed up he was and how cocky he was and how risk-taking he was and how not stable he was, then she would choose, surely choose me over him. We were thinking to ourselves as young guys who didn't get chosen, man, we deserved to be with her. And all of a sudden, we looked at the guy that was able to ask her out, and she accepted, of course, and we were like, man, I hate you. And he never did anything wrong. But deep down in our hearts, we felt to ourselves, you know what? We thought we deserved better. That's the key. If there's one thing I want to share with you guys here today. Um, it is the line that is at the top of your insert and handouts is the challenge to confront your jealousy before it ruins your relationships. I think this is really, really key because what we see within the story of Cain and Abel is that he refuses to confront his jealousy and it ruins his relationship in his family. You guys can see this picture here. I found this. You know, I went on YouTube and like, what is the most jealous pictures on the internet? And this was like one of the first pictures that came up on a YouTube top five list. So I had to share that with you guys. But if you think about it, it's really the jealousy inside of us that destroys our relationship. And what I want to do with you here today is I want to walk through the passage that we just read. 
portion by portion. And so if you guys noticed on your um, handouts, I've given you tons of space for notes for you to take as you see things pop up. But especially as it relates to these narratives that we're jumping into in this series, I love to be able to look at a narrative and ask myself a question, hey, what is the setting, problem, solution, and conclusion to the story? And that sort of helps me sort out my thoughts and guide me through the passage. And that's what I want to do with you here today. I'm not going to reread the passage, but I am going to help you. Uh, I'm going to just help navigate through it here, through the setting. In verses 1 and 2, you have the story of Cain being born first and Abel being born second. Cain is given uh, uh, the occupation to work the ground, and Abel is given the occupation to uh, work the livestock. Now, some people have looked at verses 1 and 2 and said that Cain got the short end of the stick, and I would have to go out and say, look, it seems neutral to me. It doesn't matter what job you have, whether it's working the ground or working the sheep, it doesn't matter in this case, but even though there's a difference between the occupation of Abel and the occupation of Cain, things start to turn south in verse 3. This is where you get introduced to the problem of the passage. You see, Cain is the one who gives offering to God. And Cain is said to give just the fruit of the ground. Okay, it's, it's as if he wants to, and he does, give an offering to God. But Abel comes around, his younger brother And not just gives an offering, but there's two words that that stand out from the page. And the first one is that he gave his firstborn, okay? The firstborn of the sheep. Now, now I am a a, a keeper of fish, as you know, and and I have quite a bit of fish in my office. Um, Unfortunately so, they start breeding and they start multiplying. And there's a special affinity that you have with the firstborn that you have in your own house. Because that, you know, that, 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 that fish didn't exist outside of this office, and this office was able to produce fish right there in the aquarium. And so there's a special connection that you have to the firstborn, and Abel brings that to God. The second word that stands out within this passage is that God, uh, God received the fat portions from Abel. And so there's something interesting because the fat and the blood was always forbidden for man. That was always reserved for God. The, the fat smells the best when you get it on the grill and you smell that fat burning and you want to slice into it like butter because it tastes so good. And you guys know how much we love to keep our steaks all nice and juicy with the blood still inside of it. And we do whatever it takes not to flip it too many times to lose that blood. And so there's a sense where the blood and the fat is reserved for God and, and Abel knows this and he brings this to God. There's no doubt in my mind, sorry John Steinbeck, that yes, Abel did bring a better offering than Cain. It doesn't say in this passage that Cain brought the first fruits, but Abel brought the firstborn. And not only did Abel bring the firstborn, but he brought the best of what he had to offer. And so, likewise, it makes sense that there was regard for Abel's offering, but there was no regard for Cain's. And this is really key because Cain gets angry, very angry, as the passage says. His face fell. The way I see that phrase, that his face is falling, is the sign of depression. It's a sign of despair. 
it's a sign that he didn't get what he thought he deserved from God. And sometimes I see this, especially when I'm preaching and I'm able to look people in the eye. And sometimes when you're talking to someone and they look to the ground because they don't want that eye contact because something might be going on in their lives where they're not proud of. And so in this case, Cain does the same thing. Cain doesn't want to look at God during this time in his life. And he looks down to the ground because he feels disappointed that he didn't get what he deserved and what he desired. Now, this is where the passage turns for the better when God intervenes. The Lord notices that Cain is angry and that his face has fallen. The Lord takes the initiative and asks Cain, hey, why is your face fallen? Why are you angry? Probably God already knows why Cain is acting the way he's acting, but he wants Cain to come out with it. When Cain doesn't seem to answer that first question, God seems to explain, look, this is kind of straightforward here. If you do well, you will be accepted. But if you do not do well, well, sin is crouching at your door. The, the way I read the middle of that passage part is that God is saying, yes, what you did was bad. and What you did was wrong. But it's not the end of the world. This is something you can work on. This is something we can start chipping away at. You don't have to get stuck here. We can unpack this together if you want. But then God gives a warning. He says it's crouching at your door. Its desire, this is key, is contrary to you. So you must rule over it. Don't let this situation get out of hand. If you let it be, and if you let it sit, it may become your worst nightmare. But Cain, on the other hand, has his own solution in mind. Even though God wants to talk about it, Cain wants to deal with it on his own. And you see this constantly in the Bible, right, with the anger of Moses. Moses gets angry, takes matters in his own hands, and tries to kill an Egyptian for beating up a Jew. And then later on, Moses tries to take matters in his own hands by striking the rock instead of speaking to it. David takes matters in his own hands after he does something stupid with Bathsheba. He goes ahead and tries to kill the husband, and he does. In the same way, Cain has a conversation with Abel. Now, I don't know how you want to read this part, because like, is it like a friendly conversation? Hey, bro, man, we need to talk, man, because I really got disappointed there back when you gave a better offering. I don't know if it was a friendly conversation or whether it was a misguided conversation to get Cain in a vulnerable position, which I think is probably the case. Because after the conversation, they were led to a field, and it was in that field that Cain killed Abel. And you look at this point in the story, you go like, what were you thinking? How could you let this happen? How could you go from zero to 60 in one conversation? I mean, we're just like four chapters into the Bible and you already have your first murder. Premeditated, probably. And the Lord is not going to let him get away with this. The Lord goes up to Cain and says, man, where is your brother? 
Of course God knows where the brother is, six feet under. But God wants Cain to tell the Lord who, or I'm sorry, where the brother actually is. And you see this in uh, Genesis where um, the first thing that God asks Adam and Eve is, where are you? To come out with it. God knows. And look at what he says, though. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Don't you just want to slap that guy on the face? Of course! You're the older brother. You were supposed to take care of your younger brother, and you kill him. And then you put this trite remark. And the Lord says, man, what have you done? I love the way God puts this. The voice of your brother's blood is crying from the ground. We get into the conclusion, I think, in verse 11. But I love the way that this is put. Cain is a worker of the ground. Cain kills Abel. Abel's blood fell into the ground. And while Abel can't do anything to Cain, it's almost as if his blood has now cursed the ground. And so what you find in verses 11, all the way down to verse 14, is that now God uses the ground to curse Cain. God looks at Cain and says, look, from now on you will not have any fruit to bear from the ground. The ground will give you no sustenance, no income. And then also, number two, the ground will never give you a home, and you will be forever homeless for the rest of your life, living a life like a wanderer. And then Cain, he starts to whine, I think. Oh, my punishment, verse 13, is too greater than I can bear. I'm going to be driven away and a fugitive and a wanderer, and they find me, they're going to want to kill me for what little I still have. But in spite of that whining, God still grants grace. He says, not so. For anyone who kills Cain, vengeance will be upon him. And a mark is put on him so that he would never die. Brothers and sisters, as I look at this story, there is a clear situation between the dysfunctionality of Cain and the faithfulness of God. And that's what I think will help us navigate this issue of jealousy in our lives. I want to turn your attention to the first thing that I see as the dysfunctionality within Cain's life. There we go. Number one, Cain became jealous when things did not go his way. I think that's the key to this jealousy. The key to this jealousy is when you look at that guy and the girl picks him over you and you think to yourself, man, I deserve to be with her. It's not fair. It really isn't. And then the guy didn't do anything wrong and yet you think to yourself, man, it's just not right. Because deep down in your heart, you, d- you believe you deserve something better. Deep down in your heart, you're not really angry at her for not picking you. 
you're really angry at God for not giving you what you think that you should have like he is able to get, like that other person is able to get. And so there's this sense within jealousy within all of our lives, whether it be siblings, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be someone that you know in a relationship, when you, when you look at someone and, and, and they get the promotion faster than you do, when you guys are competing for the same spot in a rivalry and they get chosen and you don't, you think to yourself deep down, man, I deserve something for all this hard work that I put in. Or when you see people in relationships and you're single and they get married before you do and you think to yourself, but I also deserve to be married too. Or when you're looking at academics or you're looking at financials and you see people lie, you see people cheat, you see people get ahead and you think to yourself, man, here I am trying to just have an honest living and yet why do I have to struggle so much just to get by? There's this sense of jealousy inside you when you see how well people do. When in reality, deep down, there is a desire inside of you that is not being met. The second thing that we see within the dysfunctionality of Cain is that he refuses to confront or admit his problem. And I mean, you see this constantly throughout this passage, right? He, 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 he sees this difference. He sees this problem. God is the one who comes in in verse 6 and tries to talk to him about it. And there's no answer on his part to God. And then he goes ahead and takes matters in his own hands and kills Abel. And then when he's finally confronted with the sin of the blood on the ground for crying out loud, he says, I don't know. There's absolutely no repentance. No addressing of the issue. And was it not God who warned us that this desire is contrary to you? It is against you. But you must rule over it. And you see how Cain doesn't deal with the situation. And it, and it grows. It festers. It turns into a monster that should have been dealt with a long, long time ago, long before he ever took Abel's life. The last thing that I think we see in the dysfunctionality of Cain is that, this is key, he took his anger out on Abel rather than bringing his desires to God. This is how our jealousy can destroy our relationships. It's when I look at that guy that was invited to the dance, who asked the girl and was accepted, and I start to dislike him, though he never did anything wrong. I look at the guy who got the promotion before I did, and I, I hate him, even though he might have never done anything wrong, and maybe didn't do anything that deserves my anger. I, I look at my sibling, I'm an only child, by the way, guys, and, and, and they get the attention, and they get the credit, but they never really did anything wrong. 
I go into social situations and I look at how many friends they have and how, how, how smart they are or what they have with, on their plates and I get jealous of them because I believe deep down I deserve that too. But because I can't bite the hand that feeds me, I lash out to the people around me. And I start to blame others. And you see this constantly within the word of God. That instead of dealing with my issues, with my problems, I turn against people around me and never actually deal with what's going on inside. It's so much easier to think that other, other people are wrong or other people are the problem without challenging yourself with what you're going through. So even though we do have the dysfunctionality of Cain, we do have the faithfulness of God. And this, I think, is where we find the solution to the jealousy. Number one, only God can solve this problem. Only God can solve this problem. There's a passage that I chose for this. It's James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And look how uncannily, like uh, very, very close it comes down to our Genesis chapter 4 passage. It says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your desire, and you desire and you do not have. Guess what? So you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Spend it on your passions. There's something really interesting about this passage. As close as it comes to your desires and you do not have, so you murder, it says, in the very uh, last part, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. Brothers and sisters, only God can satisfy this problem of jealousy in your life. And the reason why God is the only one who can solve this problem is because only God can match, fill, satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. You see, when God is able to fill your desires... When God is able to satisfy your heart, when God is able to give you that peace within you, it doesn't matter how well people do around you. When you feel satisfied in him, you'll realize that you'll treat other people with blessing and not with blame. You won't respond to them in anger, but you'll celebrate for them when they succeed instead of looking at them and thinking, I deserve that too. God is the only one that can give us what we need. And when it comes to sin, you already know the story, that it was only by the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on that cross. It was only through his death and resurrection that we can find forgiveness for our sins that he took the punishment and the penalty that we could never pay for ourselves. And only he can solve the sin within our life. 
The second thing that we see within the faithfulness of God is that number one, those, number two actually, those who hurt innocent, the innocent will not go unpunished. Don't ever think you can get away with murder. Oh, but you'll say to me, Eugene, oh, you know what, Eugene, I'm never going to commit murder in my life. I mean, sure, I've got knives. Sure, I've got guns. But I'll never kill anybody. And, 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 and it's interesting. I, I want to play on this idea really quick before I get to the verse that deals with this passage. But I, I love it how some people put it. Look, you may see people like Hitler. You may see people like Stalin. You might see people like Mussolini. And you'll say to yourself, even with Cain, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to be as evil or wicked like those guys. Those guys are really up there, and I'm, I'm just down here. I'm a nobody. But if you were put in the same place as they were put, if you had the same anger like they had, if you had the same means and opportunity like they were afforded, do you really think you would be better than them? Or would you be just as evil? Jesus makes it really clear in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 22. You have heard it said, you shall not murder, for whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, he makes it even more difficult, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, Raka, will be liable to the hell of fire. Look, it doesn't matter if you physically kill someone to Jesus. There are times when we look at those people that get what we think we deserve, and we say to them, you're dead to me in our minds. We say to ourselves, how could you do that? And so you might not actually uh, bash them with your words. You might not gossip about them. You might not spread lies about them. But when they walk down the hallway, you walk the other way. When they want to start a conversation with you, you end it. Because as far as you're concerned, they're dead to you. And that's the same to Jesus as murder. You may not physically get around to killing them, emotionally, physically, but in your mind, it's enough. And God will never let us get away from spilling innocent blood. And you really got to think about it here for a second. Abel didn't do anything wrong to be killed by his brother. You think about the prodigal son for a moment. When he came back to the house and his father welcomed him in, the older brother was standing outside the door jealous because he felt he wasn't receiving the attention he deserved. And he looked at his prodigal brother and he was getting this whole party with a fattened calf. And it's funny, at the end of that story, you never find out what happens to that older brother. You find out what happens to the younger one, though. As dark as that is, let's go to the next slide. I think I'm losing connection here. 
God still shows mercy to the guilty. It doesn't matter what you've done or how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how evil you have become or how many people you've killed in your heart. God still shows mercy to those who cry out for it. Sure, in verses 13 and 15, 13 and 14, Cain is crying out and whining. <laughs> I want to I wanna say uh, I, I would have been annoyed to hear verse 13 and 14 from Cain. But God is way better. He says, no one's going to kill you. Now, you can look at this two ways, but I think it's good to see this in mercy. You could look at this and say, like, oh, Cain has to be tortured by not dying. But in this case, I think God granted him grace. God granted him mercy. And that is how I want to close this here today. The challenge that I want to give you this morning is this. If there is something in your life that you know is going unaddressed, this is going to be a common theme in all of these dysfunctional relationships that we're going to be surveying through the New Testament and Old Testament. If you just let things sit, they will get out of hand. What is that something in your life that you've been putting off for later, for later, for later? It's been crouching at your door waiting for you to be vulnerable one day, and then it's going to come up. What is that problem inside of you with somebody that you refuse to acknowledge? My challenge you here today is to deal with that. Leave your offering at the altar. Go and be reconciled with that person before you come back. Number two, resist the temptation to blame others. I mean, we live in a victim mentality. We live in a day where where we're complaining that I don't get this, and I don't get that, and I don't get this, and I don't get that. And then we start hurting people around us that are innocent to our problems. When we think that they're getting something that we deserve. Resist the temptation to blame them Instead, be thankful for what you have and, if I may say so, celebrate with them. When that prodigal son comes home, get into the house and party. When, when Abel is able to bring that offering, congratulate him as the younger brother for getting the regard of God. Instead of looking down upon them and keeping your distance from them, be glad for them. So many times it's easy to look at people and saying, man, I just can't stand that person. That person has such a good life. I believe I deserve a good life too. And God says, you know what? Just encourage that person. Make their life even better. Because think about all that God has given you. And for that, we are very thankful. Number three. This is probably the key. Bring your desires to God. Deep down in your heart today, you might be thinking, man, there's a relationship there, and and I'm not getting the attention, and I got this loneliness inside of me. Bring that loneliness to God. Maybe you're looking at someone, and they got the promotion, and you worked really hard, but you didn't get the same attention and recognition that you thought you deserved from your boss. Bring that feeling of inadequacy to God. And there might be something in your life, like for myself, 
I, I, I do compare myself to the pastors. I think to myself, man, why can't I be as challenging as Pastor Jim at the pulpit? Why can't I give those sermons that make people question what they're doing? Or I look at Pastor Dean and I think to myself, why can't I be as sharp as he or clear as he is in his sermons? And then I got to think to myself, you know what? The Lord gave me a message about Jesus. He's given me a call. He's given me more gifts than I deserve. Why not just share it? Brothers and sisters, if there are desires that are unmet within your heart, bring them to God first before you ruin the relationships in your life, before you start harming others for what you think you deserve. I'm going to close in prayer and we'll have the worship team come back up. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you, God, because deep down in my heart, I think about this quite a bit, whether I was young or now here that I'm older. There are plenty of areas in my life that I am insecure about. And there are plenty of areas in my life that I know I feel like I deserve with expectations. And yet, in those moments that I believe that I deserve better, God, I go to you and I realize that you have given me more than what I deserve. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us here today to resist the temptation to hurt people around us. Whether it be our our actual brothers and biological sisters, God. Whether it be people in this church. Whether it be people in the workplace. Whether it be relationships that were lost. God, I pray, Lord, that we don't unpack on them the anger and the pain that we feel. But, Lord, I pray, God, that we would bring our desires to you first so that we would be ready to give hope and life to the people around us rather than death. Lord, I pray, God, that we would use Cain's story as a warning not to let these types of issues in our lives go unchecked. Give us the courage to be honest with ourselves, with what is going on inside of us. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Feel free to um, continue this time in prayer and reflection. Hebrews 4 reminds us, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All these pieces